very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. everyone around the world and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mal Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time or your truth journey brought you here, welcome home. And to listen to tonight's full interview, I don't think I have to give you directions anymore. It's been too many years. Just click on the subscribe button and get your login immediately you'll be able to enjoy hundreds of hours of truth. And when you hear me say that Sanitas really upgrades your life, well, as you know, the FDA doesn't want me to make claims like that, but I can tell you from my own experience, it has upgraded my life. And hopefully it will yours too. All you have to do is listen and subscribe. Go to SanitasRadio.com and try today. And if you want to get in touch with me, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion or feedback, doesn't matter. I always love to hear from you. Click on the contact button of our website. Tonight's special guest will decode imperial control words. He will discuss the sacred nature of race, gender, and sexuality. And will deconstruct new age and parapolitical paradigms. He is none other than a friend and veteran of this program, Neil Kramer, an English writer, philosopher, and teacher, specializing in the fields of consciousness, metaphysics, and mysticism. Neil has made a lifelong independent study of philosophy, mystical traditions, religion, inner alchemy, occultism, and esoteric world history. He shares his path of transformation and empowerment in writings, interviews, and lectures, as well as giving one-on-one teachings and group workshops. Neil speaks on many fascinating subjects and is renowned for his unique blend of lucidity, empowerment, and authenticity. To learn more about Neil Kramer, visit his website at neilkramer.com and listen to all the interviews we have conducted in the past. They're all, I've lost count of how many they are, but they're all in our various archives. And just to announce, Neil has a weekend seminar scheduled in Omega, New York from September the 23rd through the 25th, entitled Journeys Beyond the Threshold. Also, Transmutation, the movie, has completed filming and it's currently in post-production and is due out early 2017. Check out the previews on www.transmutationmovie.com and he joins us directly near Seattle, Washington. Hello, Neil. Welcome back to your Veritas home. How are you? Hey, Mel. It's great to be with you. I'm very, very well. How are you doing? Great. Always, always a pleasure. And I have to tell you, by the way, I like it that instead of using the word conspiratorial, you use the word parapolitical. I like that. 
Yeah, yeah, conspiracies so 1990s. We, ne- we we don't want to be saying that anymore, do we? So parapolitical, I think, is the uh, more grown-up version, so why not? Yes, yes, ever since the JFK assassination, they have treated us like children for merely asking questions. And uh, as I always, you know, it's always been with you since day one. It's very exciting because beyond some talking points that I read in the intro, I really have no idea where you will be taking us tonight. So I always ask you the same question at the beginning of the program. What do you do to keep your material so different and so fresh? I I don't think I've ever listened to an interview that is the same. No, well, I used to listen to um, some wonderful people speaking in in the old days, like Manly P. Hall and Alan Watts and recordings, you know, in written form of people like Conan Doyle and Rudolf Steiner and George Gurdjieff. And what I used to be impressed by was the fact that they never really said the same thing twice. I mean, they'll, of course, cover some subjects, but it was always fresh. And what each of those kind of people said was that when you're into a spiritual paradigm in your own personal life and when philosophy is alive... Uh, it's always moving. It's a moving target. So it's like a road trip and you're just looking out of the window and just chronicling what you see out of the window. So as long as you're in motion, it's always fresh. So I just have tried to repeat that sort of tried and tested formula of saying, well, let me share what I see today because it's not the same as what we talked about last time or to some other guy or on another show or in a book. It's, it's always different. So, yeah, it's just life in motion. Are those influences of yours? You mentioned Alan Watt and, and uh, Manly B. Hall and Steiner and so on. Yeah, definitely. That Especially as a young man, to, to hear men of great character uh, and intellect, but also of big, with big hearts and people who were looking at the shadow as well as the light, which is very, very important to me. So um, Manly P. Hall, with you know, his study of esoteric groups, was, was a great influence. And Arthur Conan Doyle, of, of course, who wrote the Sherlock Holmes stories, he was also greatly interested in mysticism and metaphysics and spiritualism. And his later stories, even some of his Sherlock Holmes stories, brought that out. And uh, he, he wrote books about fairies and all kinds of weird stuff. So, yeah, and I like the way they use language as well, particularly Conan Doyle. Um, and other poets as well, like Wordsworth and William Blake and Tennyson had mystical influences. And so just that language and that optimism and that, uh, character just, you know, influenced me as, especially in my teens and twenties. And, you know, I, I have pictures and writings and poems of those guys in the house still. So they're, they're great, great heroes of mine, really. Speaking of language, the first talking point that we'll be discussing tonight, mm-hmm. decoding imperial control words. Now, what is this? Mm-hmm. So, when I speak about uh, empire, I'll just say a few words about that, just for listeners who are new who may not have heard that before. So I'm going to refer to something called empire probably throughout our conversation tonight. So, empire is an, an ethos, really, a group, a method all those different things that attempts to restrict humankind to a lower state of being, to, to limit people to a diminished level of mental, emotional, and spiritual development, deep, deeply conditioning human beings to value collectivism over individualism. 
That's what it does. So I choose to use the term empire to describe this whole thing. Better term for me than New World Order or Illuminati or globalist or whatever. And I always also underlike, um, underline the fact that empire is not really a symptom of human brokenness. Um, so much as, uh, you know, a very, very distant echo of it. So it's not at all a cause. It's like a cold, you know, like having a running nose is the symptom of something that's a virus that's already taken place. So to me, empire is what comes when we stop determining life for ourselves, when we um, discard our gift of creating reality, when we stop unfolding our spirit, we invite this strange, wicked empire to run our lives for us. You know, we give our power to it. So, of, co- of course, you know, the, the term... Empire also does cover those perceptions about secret groups and globalism and centralization and negative um, occult practices and stuff like that. And it, it does preserve oligarchies and aristocracies and stuff. But above all, it's, it's an ethos. It's a philosophy. It's a method. It's a group of people. And it is important to just understand that however powerful they may seem and whatnot, they they are wrong-hearted, they are emotionally shut down, immoral, flawed, and essentially weak. So I'm going to say things that will make Empire look very powerful, but they're not, they're weak. And it's only by tricking us into being weaker than them do they have any power at all. So without our consciousness and our consent, they are relatively impotent and powerless. So when we talk about the cunning and the power of empire, it's really their skill for deception, not the might, because they're not that mighty. So decoding imperial control words. So when I speak imperial, of course, I'm speaking of empire in that sense. So let's think of it like this. Let's place ourselves in the position of, say, uh, members of an imperial think tank, you know, a group tasked with... You know, we're the bad guys devising strategies for controlling major populations in America and Europe and Asia and Africa and Australia and whatnot. And and there we all are, sat around a table, secretly trying to shape social policy and attitudes and education and science and military and all that. And let's say that one of our most important tasks, as it would be, is to persuade people to consent to accept the globalism of empire. How, how could we get people to do that? How could we get them to be helpless in what is essentially their own world? How, how can we get them to just do as they're told? So I would say with, with a very large section of the population, we'll call them you know, sleepwalkers, you simply give them diversions, stressful, repetitive jobs, sports, media, drugs, politics, and all sorts of sordid little avenues of distraction, all all of which will fill up the lives so much that they won't really have any inclination to pay attention to what's going on in the world. They don't want to know. They'll leave all that to someone else. And I'd say that that portion of the population is probably pretty big, maybe 70%, 5 billion people say. So it's not too hard there. You just fill up the lives with stuff. But let's say there's another 30% of the population it were a bit more thoughtful, a bit more self-educated maybe, a bit more insightful, who do look into the nature of things more. You know, people like your listeners basically and other shows like this and other areas of study and scholarly, um, you know, subject matter. People who want to learn about the world who feel that there is surely a better way of doing things and 
maybe even we, we should be doing it ourselves. What about, what about them? How does our imperial think tank sort of deactivate those people? Because if they're walking around saying things, alive, powerful, sovereign things, then empire won't last very long because they'll destroy it, those thoughtful, good people. So how do you take them offline? And my proposal to you this evening is that I would say about 250 years ago, which coincides with around the time of the Industrial Revolution in Europe, as literacy and education came within the reach of many millions more people than ever before, Empire came up with a strategy, a very clever one, of controlling the language. And over the following, let's say, 150 years, leading up to what would that be, about uh, about 1900, the language started to rapidly change. So people might think, language? What are you talking about? Why, why bother with what's the major focus on language? Because simply, if you can control the words and their meanings, then you control the thinking. It's very hard to think without language. Even, you know, silently and privately inside your own conscious reflections. Without words, it's hard to think. Try it, it's hard. So the words, or rather, more importantly, the concepts they represent are critical in human cognition and communication and conscious development. So Empire, I, I see, has been very aggressively reshaping the language, slowly, slowly, for sure, but steadfast in, in sort of redefining key aspects of our spoken uh, and written communication to distort reality, or the, certainly to distort the reality in our heads, to restrict our ability to think and to produce confusion and self-doubt and obedience in the minds of people. And they, they're certainly making a determined and um, concerted effort to eliminate our power of judgment. So let, let me give you an example of that, because that's all very abstract. Let me give you a concrete example. Discrimination, right? We spoke about this briefly before, but let's just touch on that for a moment, and then we'll look at something else. If you can't discern things, then you can't make any decisions. You can't make any judgments. You can't choose. You can't know what's good and bad, what works and what doesn't. So if you eat away at that power of discernment, that which is simply our ability to judge quality, then you're making um, they're making discrimination, which is simply observing the difference between things, bad. It becomes a bad thing. So if you read your sort of Webster's 1828 dictionary, which is online, anyone can look at it, at that time the word discrimination means uh, to distinguish, to observe the difference between stuff, to select from things, to make a distinction, to mark notes of difference. No mention of anything negative in the word discrimination, nothing. And if we, if you take the 2016 definition of discrimination, the number one definition now is the practice of unfairly treating a person or a group of people differently. Right. Or from the Collins Dictionary, unfair treatment of a person, racial group, minority, based, action based on prejudice. From the Oxford, unjust prejudicial treatment. Right? So the language has been changed. And what this then does is make all discrimination feel wrong, even the good types. So to discriminate now means to be unfair, perhaps even unlawfully so. And the secondary definitions of the same word, no one cares. No one looks at those. It's just the first thing that they look at. So if someone's on the smartphone and they 
a young person who's not sure what that word means or an old person or whatever, look it up. The first descriptive word is unjust. So in 1828, the description was distinguish, observe, select, mark differences. So that's a a classic, classic example. So imperial culture makes it look like discrimination is a bad thing. And by the time we're all old men, if we haven't educated our families and our young people properly, the new people coming in will assume, well, discrimination is a bad thing. We all know that. That's not true. It make, it, they're trying to make it sort of unfashionable, hateful, so that sections of society cannot perceive truth. They, don't, they won't want to judge for fear of discrimination. And you see that in New Age communities. You know, what do they always say? Oh, I'm not judging. I don't want to judge. Right. Judging is wrong, which is stupid. You know, how gullible and programmable those people are is just staggering to me. Judgment is a primary human skill. It's an instinct, a power, a natural observational tool for an intelligent man or a woman. Without it, we're nothing. Judgment is very important. So if people give that up and lose the ability to make their own mind up, they're in a bad way. You know, what is good? What is bad? What's beautiful? What's ugly? What's rubbish? What's excellent? What they like? What they don't like? They can no longer make that judgment. They make themselves sort of feeble, right? So we've talked about that briefly before, but let's qu- let's turn to another word, right? A big one, this. Democracy. But right? before, Very- you, before you go to the democracy, let oh, me just, right, if, I, sure. if I might just add something Please, to it. Please, yes. Because all my life in the corporate world, I always use words like offering the hmm. XYZ for the most discriminating taste. I used that in marketing as far as I can remember. Uh, or I remember this lady who wrote a letter when I left the corporate world, and she said, I am someone who will always distinguish you. Now, you use those two words these days for the most discriminating taste, and I bet you some people will be raising the political incorrect flag. They will, they will because they're, what it does, that uh, change in the language, is it makes people afraid. Because they don't want to have that spotlight turned on them, you know, like a sort of uh, concentration camp, and they've gone over the fence. The last thing you want is that spotlight on you. Yeah. They don't want to. They don't want to feel that. So it makes people afraid to discriminate. It makes people afraid to get anything close to it. Use the word. So it's discriminate is a control word, right? So that's the imperial version of it. Democracy a term that many, many people feel very comfortable and confident that they know what that is, you know? A word used every single day in, in politics all around the world and schools and governments and superpowers. Very, very common. Uh, and it appears, of course, to be a good thing. You know, what is democracy? Well, it's some sort of system where the people are involved in electing representatives who administer local, national and global affairs equitably on the on behalf of the people. And periodically, uh, the electorate vote in new representatives to manage things. And, and through a, a system of checks and balances, there are various parties and beliefs that sort of fairly correspond to the prevailing perspectives of the people. And all our life, we grew up thinking, you know, quite naturally, that democracy sounds like a pretty good thing. In reality, none of that is real. It's all a total fabrication for two different kinds of people. people the ignorant masses who don't care and the other category of people who do care but are so stubborn in their ideology that they're happy to idealize what democracy could be or might be. Not what it is. Not in, They don't deal with what's in front of them. And they willfully ignore reality and live in this fabricated dream world. And they, they sold that dream by people like Karl Marx, 
and Vladimir Lenin and even today people like Tony Blair and Bernie Sanders and Jeremy Corbyn and people like that. And democracy, you know, to them it appears to be about freedom and elections and representation, but it's not. Democracy is a governing method of empire. It is feudalism, right? And for anyone who's not sure what that is, feudalism was a, a European system of social control, right, that was very dominant between about 900 AD and 1500 AD, round about then, a bit earlier, a bit later maybe, but around about that time, for hundreds and hundreds of years, more than the whole of American history, and it structured all society based on compulsory peasant labor, very sort of harshly administered by people who had essentially inherited resources and land from empire. And I would say it's the same thing today. You you have to work for the administrators who have mysteriously claimed the resources, and it is peasant labor. So democracy is feudalism with pizza and BMWs, essentially. What's the difference between feudalism and the mafia? Don't they come knock on your door and say, give us some money <laughs> for protection? Well, you could say that because it's based on authority. And at the end of the day, it's like, uh, you know, the IRS. If you don't pay your taxes, they will kill you. So at some point you get a notice, then you get another notice. And this happens to people. We can read about them. You might have spoken to these guys on your show. And then you get a visit, then you get police, then you get this, and then if you still don't respond, they will come to the door with guns, and if you don't come out, they will shoot you. So that authority is still present today, but it's just several stages removed. So democracy is based, is, is a sort of very virulent disease of the mind, which is essentially, as I say, is a posh kind of feudalism. So let me let me give you another couple of words and then we'll we'll look into this a bit deeper liberalism right liberalism and again let us know here that what liberalism appears to be just like the other things we've talked about and what it actually is are different things so liberalism appears to be people who believe in the freedom to express themselves we're, we're all the same people choosing what they want to do in culture politics the arts social sciences It, liberalism indicates uh, free markets, civil rights, a secular government, and so on, right? But that is not at all what it really is. In reality, liberalism is a kind of imperial submission, a liberalism not formulated by the people, but by empire. So liberalism is decadence masquerading as social justice, right? Liberalism is imperial control. It's a decadence. And it's designed to destroy culture. So it's not what we think it is. Not all those nice men and women who vote for Obama, who, you know, are our neighbors who we like, you know, good-hearted people who thought, well, this is a nice, decent guy. He's going to do something good. Maybe Hillary will continue it and do wonderful things. We're not on about those people who are doing that. I'm on about what it really is. So it, it's designed to destroy culture through this decadence and, again, Be, be clear on the word decadence from the medieval Latin, decadentia, decay. So decadence means decay, from decadere to decay. So decadence is not just like having a good time, like having a big slice of chocolate cake, you know, and your wife says, oh, I feel so decadent. It's not that. It's, it's deep degradation. It's corruption and breakdown, especially with regard to morality and um, integrity and self-discipline, which is precisely what you see Dehumanizing. in mainstream society. Dehumanizing. It takes the human out of society, out of culture. It takes it all out. And that's exactly what happened 
in Berlin in the 1920s. Total decay, prostitution, pedophilia, sexual degradation, bestiality, rape, torture, murder, and all of those things were normal. They weren't aberrations, they were normal. A decadent society that had learned to believe that that was okay. This, This terrible corrosion of mind and heart, which in part led to the overwhelming German support for a restoration of honour and morality and decorum in society. And what happened after that is is very debatable. That's a subject matter for another show. But the point today is is language. So decadence is becoming socially normalised and everyone is becoming sort of acclimated to it, starting with the youth. Everything's the same. It's all good. Nothing can be superior to anything else. Anything goes... No culture or race is better or worse. No more or less defined, you know? So in my personal cosmology, discrimination, democracy, liberalism, and all those things don't exist. They're not real things. The control words, they are control words. So when you hear discriminate, democracy, liberal, the control words, diversity, right? There's another one. It appears to be about Natural human diversity of creed and culture. I hate to stop you, but I just want to to dissect some of these words because I'm so glad it's so refreshing that stuff that I guarantee you folks, you are listening to us here thinking what Neil is thinking, but you're afraid to talk about it. Because if you talk about this out there with your friends, your loved ones, people are so brainwashed that they don't want to talk about this. When I think of the word decadence, this is exactly what I see when I, if I ever turn on the TV in less than 60 seconds. That's exactly what I see decadence. I remember my grandparents when I was a little boy and we would be watching TV and all of a sudden a bikini would show up. They would, Oh, look at that indecent. Let's change the subject, change the channel. I would think, Oh gosh, don't be so old schooled. But what we see now, the cursing, the dehumanizing of women, the, 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 the way everything is portrayed backwards no. and upside down. I just don't get it unless and every, there's... And, every, and everybody knows it. Everybody knows it. Like you said, the listeners, by and large, there'll be one or two maybe, but by and large, we're thinking, yes, yes, yes. They, they all know it. So yes. that, you know, that, that word diversity, it's not just about natural diversity that you see in life, which, which is okay. You know, most people no problem with that. It takes all sorts to make the world go round. We know that, but that's not what diversity is. No, diversity is racial destruction. And so many, many terms, many, many terms, Mel, like hate speech, domestic terrorism, gun violence, they do not exist. They're not things. Gun violence is not a thing. Hate speech is not a thing. They do not occur in the natural world. They control words. No equality. Talked with that before about, you know, on your show. No equality, there's only uniqueness. No hate speech, only speech, right? No gun violence, only violence in the human heart. Guns, no, incapable of violence. Of course, don't be stupid. No such thing as gun violence. So when you hear those buzz terms, you're hearing control words, right? So let me let me reel these off. We won't go into them. Discrimination, equality, diversity, democracy, hate speech, Domestic terrorism, gun violence, racism, racial profiling, racial bias, privilege, underprivileged, ethnic minority, gun control, prejudice, microaggression, implicit bias, restorative justice. Those are all control words. They're not real things. All you need to do is when you hear that, prefix those words with the word imperial, imperial equality, imperial gun control, 
imperial privilege, imperial racism, and that gives you a better idea of its purpose, right? So imperial equality, real meaning, everyone is the same. All persons and cultures are the same quality. Not true. That's not true. Some people, some races, some cultures, some ethnicities are good. Some are rubbish. Some are developed, some are underdeveloped. Some are peaceful, some are violent. It's in the bones. And it takes centuries to change. And everyone's at a different speed. We're not all at the same place. Neither should we be. It's all right. You can't legislate for that, though. It's That's the mysterious business of God, right? So it's nothing to do with equality of opportunity. It's not imperial equality. Is designed to remove the distinctions between human beings. It's collectivism. Equality is collectivism. Like I say, diversity, destroy heritage. Hate speech, destroy speech. Gun violence, remove freedom to protect yourself. So you get the idea. So it's my firm proposition today to you and to the audience that much of the talk we hear about racism and diversity and equality and bias and gender is rubbish. They're control words, total fiction, not real things. So the subjects that we think are related to those, they're things we can talk about for sure. But how they put forward in, in education, in elementary schools, in high schools and colleges, is not real. And on the media, it's not real. They control words. And, and nowhere is that more apparent than race and gender, which are very, very hot topics, which we, we can talk about if you like. Well, certainly, but let me go back to decadence. I'll take I a think, breath, yeah. Go, yeah no, go for that's it, yeah. okay. I think of, again, <laughs> you, you brought a very important topic here, and we could have an entire show about what happened in World War II, but we won't do this today. But when I think of the Weimar Republic, and I think of how subjugated yep. they were after World War I, between 1918 to what, 1933, this is really when we saw the decadence, the, the, the cabaret scene in Berlin, and then we see United States when you turn on the TV. I really don't see that much of a difference between what we see in the media today, <laughs> I know. plus I know. you add Bolshevism on top of it at the same time. Almost like a merger of this, you know, Bolshevism and decadence, fascism and communism, more or less merging for a future. It is. It is. It's, it's a sort of collapsing of, you know, the different polarities, like in a sort of wicked, weird, deceitful, bizarre way where you can't win. So if you wanted to vote Democrat, you can't win. If you wanted to vote Republican, you can't win. There's no winning move on that. And, and the crucially important subjects of goodness and morality and discipline and decency and honor, nobility, you don't even hear those words. Those are words that don't have any place in the mainstream newspapers and websites. You don't see them. Those are words that don't exist. They're only present in certain, you know, tiny little subgenre subject matters. You might see it a little bit here and there, but in the mainstream, even in the sort of highbrow newspapers, you know, like the Guardian or the Observer or the Times or this or that, the New York Times, Washington Post, where there's a little bit more thought, you don't see it. They're not part of the social conversation. They're not part of the social contract. And we can't talk about race. We can't talk about sexuality because that's been co-opted in this, in this imperial language of control. So you can't discuss it. So people discuss it secretly, you know, quietly in whispers across the kitchen table or whatever. So, you know, it's just, it was my thought today. I mean, we can certainly always talk about the magic of the world and the 
the spiritual unfoldment and so on. That's always part of this. But a key part of one's development is to examine what is. And what is in front of us right now is wrong. It doesn't work. It's untrue. And we have to make an effort, particularly with some of the things I've talked about, but we have to make an effort to say, well, what is it then? What what really is going on? And as I've said, my observation has been that looking at some of those things that we, I talked about, you know, like hate speech and gun violence and discrimination, they're not things. They, they are not things. There's things a bit like them, but they're very general things. So that discrimination in itself is not a real thing. It's just preference, right? So if, if we bring that to uh, race and gender and sex- sexuality, you know, then you start to get really interesting. But even before we get to that, if, if you consider uh, even in Germany, where they were one of the great proponents of multiculturalism, not the German people, I hasten to add, but the German government, Many people in Italy and Germany or France, before, even before this giant immigration disaster that's happening at the moment, said multiculturalism has failed. So in, they call it in Germany multiculti with a K. Multiculti is a, is a failure. And in England and Europe over the last few decades, I've seen the sort of forced exodus and cultural mixing to be very, very damaging to formerly very peaceful, stable communities, especially in areas that I know like Bolton and Cardiff and Bradford and Birmingham, Hounslow, Brent, Newham, Tower Hamlets and all their suburbs. And, you know, it's in a real mess, England. It's a real shame. It's in a real mess. And it won't be freed from that breakdown for centuries. And what's happened now is so too the same in France, Germany, uh, Sweden, Denmark, Finland, Norway, Spain, Italy, Belgium, Austria, all being culturally reshaped and culturally genocided, right? And I mean the genocide of good culture, the culture of natural humans, where the words and the images and the music and the values, the, the food, the clothes, the social skills, the narratives, the landscapes are from real people. And that's being eliminated. And whoever poor bastards come in as immigrants, it's not their bloody fault. They're just being used as pawns, so whether it's Algerians or Pakistanis or Africans or Syrians, forget that. They're, they're just the poor schmucks who get brought in. They're expendable to empire, weak, ignorant of the grand game. So it's very important. It's, it's important. Or, or we're bombing consider. their countries. Or like we're Syria. bombing their countries, of course, with Syria, yeah. But there's no point in singling out particular ethnic types. That's, that's controlled very meticulously by empire, to be honest, and it is, it is often designed to cause maximum damage to the cultures, and they, they frequently will choose racial and cultural types that are very opposed to each other and have no impulse for integration or respect or contribution or adaptation, none. So it's, it's very unwise for people to think, oh, I'm sick of this type or this thing or these brown guys or these white guys or these olive-skinned guys. It's stupid. There's, there's no point in singling out particular types. It doesn't work like that. So it does inevitably, when you look at this, it leads to this question of race. And I, as I've kind of been philosophically proposing the idea that there's no such thing as equality, I would like to suggest that there's also no such thing as racism. I don't think that's a thing. And some people might be surprised to hear that. 
for me, I've been running with that for a couple of years now, and I'm pretty certain it's not a thing. Certainly not in my world, it's not a thing. So when even when good people talk about like stamping out racism, you know, it sounds like a good idea. I don't understand what they mean. But again, it's not what you think it is. What what it's really for is to is not to bring social fairness and equity amongst different groups and creeds, but is to erase tribal heritage on all sides, everyone. To terminate thousands of years of what I call blood wisdom. In Europe, America, Africa, Brazil, wherever, Hawaii, Asia, it doesn't matter, everywhere. To remove that organic human culture of shared ancestry and replace it with groundless, imperial, synthetic groups, right? Not real. Nothing to do with stamping out racism. So they get people who are ignorant, who mean well, and just use them, exploit them. Because you can't stamp out what isn't there. So, like I say, racism appears to be, we know this, the idea that we should not treat people badly based on colour or creed, of course. Right, okay, who wouldn't agree with that? It's common sense, of course. We all know that's stupid, right? But that isn't what racism really is. Racism, to me, is an invented thing, an invented crime that can be levelled at anybody who expresses preference for culture Heritage, appearance, mannerism, skill, capability, or whatever. And the word racism did not exist prior to 1900. Nothing in the 1828 Webster's, nothing in the 1880 English Dictionaries, nothing. So, what was the word invented for? It, it certainly wasn't to protect people or society. None of these things ever are. The, the idea of racism instructs people to believe that preferring one tribal expression over another is wrong and what people should do instead is adopt this collectivist view that everyone is the same all cultures are of equal relevance and worth which to me is stupid preposterous many cultures are awful many are marvelous some creeds are violent some are more intelligent we all see that travel the world and you'll see some things are better than others better for you, better for you personally better for you yourself and Individually, we're allowed to make that call. You can formulate that judgment if you want. So whilst other races and cultures may have the same sort of ultimate human potential to achieve excellence and harmony and grace by their own hand, they are nevertheless, of course, totally unequal and dissimilar with wildly conflicting levels of refinement and soul and spirit you know, that's that's for the individual to decide themselves. It's it's every individual's prerogative to decide if a person or a culture or a group or a form of human expression meets your standards of morality and growth. If it does, great. If it doesn't, fine. So let, let me say, it like, think of it like this. Consider that at a certain stage of inner development, people will prefer their own kind, right? People who share... They'll prefer people who have their own sort of customs like theirs, their own outlook, same values, same protocols, same history. And I think that's natural. Especially if, if your culture has achieved great equilibrium and quality. And so those sort of people might not even want to have much to do with people foreign to their lands. They might not, okay? And then as people expand their consciousness, deepen it, and grow and travel more and develop new experiences of culture and different modes of being, then they might begin to see that other races also have wonderful things. 
and you know your own inner developmental state progresses right and you might start to enjoy the words and the images and the art and the social expression from races you've you've never heard of never dreamed of nothing like you but you love it even though you might still retain your natural inclination to uphold and honor the cultural uh, expression of your own tribe right you can do both up to you. No racism involved anywhere in this equation. No such thing. There is ignorance in the heart of the individual, for sure. But deep down, when I look at it, I feel that no one truly commits violence based on race. They do it on cultural differences, which they they fear. They act from pain. It's stupidity and provincialism that is the crime, right? And that's hugely different. So... You know, also, we all know that some places do very well with racial diversity and, and some don't. Same all over. You, you know, you can't force people to grow. So some places have an overwhelming majority of one race. Okay, no problem. That might naturally be the way it is. They like it that way. Good. No crime. No need for diversity, right? So diverse, imperial diversity designed to kill all races. That's what it's for. And... There are some cities that are heavily mixed, like New York or London, and go there and see for yourself, gauge whether you think that works for you or not. Some people love it. Some people don't like it. That's an individual preference. And you can make an assessment on that yourself, and you'll, you'll see that that uh, natural mixing is works in some places and not in others. Different people at different stages of development. So... Nowhere in any of that do I see racism. I just see stages of preference from inner developmental stages. You understand that initially, if somebody's not seen something, they might be wary of it because they live in a little provincial town and they don't get it. That's not racism. That's nothing to do with it. It doesn't come into it. That's an invented crime. It's not a thing. So if you start to remove that from it, like, as the same with gun violence, there's no such thing. There's just violence, right? And with racism, what you're talking about is preference, and preference based on individual development. So somebody who's highly developed will have sophisticated preferences where they'll say, well, I love cultures like I do myself from all over, and many of my friends from all different, especially living in the States and coming from England, I have more natural diversity in my social circle than most people can believe or imagine and it works because I've worked on my development so I learn so much it's incredible and it works really really well but I've worked on that worked and worked and worked on it I know some other people who haven't done that who live in very traditional ways who prefer their own kind to me that is not racism that's preference completely acceptable and okay None of those people I have ever seen have any ill will or violence to anybody outside of that. It's just preference. The only people doing violence do violence anyway. They have, they have violence in the heart. So, like I say, if we take the imperial definition of racism, you can level it at anybody who shows preference for tribe or heritage or social expression. I would be. You would be. Your friends and family would be. My friends and family would be. It's totally arbitrary. And anyone they don't like who shows any preference, they're a racist. So again, they're trying to remove choice and judgment and preference. And it's just a con. It's just a massive con. It doesn't exist.
When I think of etymology and how words are changing, we can go all the way back to to old English and how it's changing now, and old Spanish and how it's changing now. But I think of mm. going back to 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 what we're discussing here. I remember back in 1991, 92, when the Maastricht Treaty was being signed, I was yeah. reading it because in business, I had to be aware of all the geopolitical events that were taking place at the time. And I was thinking, okay, this makes sense. The European Union, quote unquote, as an economic bloc wants to compete against the United States, that's fair. But when it started to evolve, or some may call it de-evolvement, when it started becoming more as a unit, where you're going to drop all your borders and bring everybody else. And as you said, those people who are flocking there, perhaps they have a, you know, things are happening and, and their countries are, 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 are suffering and they have to do what they have to do to survive. I get that. But when you have these cultures that are very unique, and this is one thing that traveling in Europe and traveling in the United States, you notice you're in Iowa and then you're in yeah. Wyoming. The difference may be a slight change in accent, but you're still in the United States. In Europe, you can be across the street in one country that speaks one language, and the next the next street is another country that speaks a different language, very different cultures. I don't think, back then, I thought, you cannot mix them. You cannot just dilute them to the point that they're going to lose their identity, their culture. And this is exactly what's happening now. My question is, why is this happening and for what purpose? Who's orchestrating this? Well, good question. It's empire is orchestrating it, and it's to remove the sense of communal tribal identity. Tribal identity is the basic platform from which individual identity arises. So many people, and this takes place over a spiritual trajectory that lasts thousands of years for every individual. So my esoteric, uh, dimension to this is you're not just talking about one person, one life. The whole thing takes place over thousands of years for every individual, over many manifestations of spirit, many animal selves come into being from one soul. And your tribal heritage is very important. And without that, it restricts the individual spiritual development. So if your heritage is destroyed, your identity is becomes fragile if you've not reached that stage. So again, in higher stages of development, race is irrelevant. It doesn't matter what you look like and where you're from. It doesn't matter. But most people on Earth come here at the beginning stages of spiritual development. We all did. It's like a university. You come here, you stay for 10,000 years, and you graduate and you go. Most people, they're always beginners, right? So tribal identity, and I mean that tribal in the very best sense of the word, great, true communion and fellowship, absolutely the most wonderful human thing. What's the number one thing when I speak to people around the world? The biggest problem they have is lack of conscious community, lack of real organic culture, lack of support, lack of conscious brotherhood, conscious sisterhood. It's not there. And we're having to cobble it together slowly but surely, piece it together. So this giant reduction of tribal identity through hugely manipulated, obviously manipulated, just go and look at what's happening in Germany at the moment and you'll see it, even just to read about it, it's clear, the numbers. They're removing the the heritage of the people and when they do that, it slows down spiritual development so you get more people not sure who they are in a weakened state, afraid, volatile, easy to control, easy to manipulate, easy to tell them what to do. 
So the weak human is a joy for Empire because they do as they're told and they serve just like in the Matrix as one of those little Duracell batteries. And it's great. So they can't just wipe the planet out because they need that consciousness. But what they can do is use this system of Empire to create Imperial citizens where everyone has no story, no identity. They're just wandering around looking for something to believe in. So if you remove that, some of the greatest, most fantastic cultures on Earth dotted pretty evenly all over. I mean, I know, obviously, especially Europe and America, because that's where I've spent most of my life. But they're all over. It's hard to miss anywhere out, you know. There might be great, vast desert regions where there's low populations, but where there's people, there's culture. Where there's people, there's good stuff. Where there's race, there's excellence. All different kinds. Hard to measure it, but you can have personal preferences, no problem. But that, when you start to uh, remove the transport of that spirit, the zeitgeist of those different uh, tribal expressions, when you just, you know, commoditize it and you turn it into a a sort of uh, technology that's, you know, pumped to people through Netflix and Google and Sony and, you know, Samsung and Apple or whatever, suddenly you've got, like, imperial culture. And there's no physical aspect to it. There's no heart aspect to it. There's no real intelligence behind it. There's no primal spirit behind it. There's no craft. There's nothing true there. There's no goodness in it. It's something different. And that uh, population movement establishes that fact by saying you're not allowed to have heritage. It's racist to have heritage. It's racist to track your people's blood wisdom. That's racist. You can't do it. We're going to stop you doing that. And uh, secretly, you can all attack each other if you wish, because these guys might annoy you. They might look different and smell funny, and you wear strange clothes and listen to weird music. So go ahead and fight each other. If, you, if you're stupid, go for it. We don't care. If you, you know, rape each other's women, we don't care. Go ahead. They have no interest in that whatsoever, of course. It's just the breakdown of culture, of the blood wisdom. That's what it's for. That's my answer and that's what i've seen slowly but surely but it's just as you know if i know you you're one of these guys who follows the news as as best you can without making yourself utterly despondent (laughs) right but because we speak to lots of people and we you and i work in similar fields we have to keep our fingers on the pulse it's really accelerated recently hasn't it we have to examine what is. I like what you said. What is, what has been, and what will be. Mm-hmm. And when I look at, say, your country, the United Kingdom, I look at Scotland, you know, Wales, and so on. Let's say that each one mm-hmm. is a tribe. I wouldn't see Scotland wanting to merge with with Wales or England with Ireland. Everybody respects their differences, and you coexist. Take, you know, the United States before 1492 when Columbus rediscovered this part of the world. I look at... uh, Rediscovered like it. Exactly. And when I look at uh, the estimate from the United States, they're telling us that we had about 25 million Native Americans. But independent researchers show that it was between 75 and 114 million Native Americans. What happened to all of them? They they live here in, in harmony. These different tribes had their own, their own assets, and they coexisted. But when we came along, what happened? We killed so many of them. Africa. Take Africa as an example. Tribes were divided by rivers, but then 
you know, the conquest came along and the empire took over and they merged those tribes and civil war happened. Mm -hmm. This happened throughout history. I see the same thing happening in Europe. It definitely is. And Europe is the, the heartland of a lot of, you know, the most incredible spiritual information that I've ever come across from anywhere in the world. People forget that because it's so uh, culturally rich with, you know, art and music and food and literature and cuisine and fashion and this and that. And old buildings, you know, Americans get very excited about old buildings, don't they? But um, or Europe, Europe is... Yeah. <laughs> but Europe is... Uh, is if if you take Europe out, you make a lot of things a lot easier because it is the model for empire in many ways. It's a giant socialist block, always has been. As I say, the democracy is just feudalism. It's it's not changed whatsoever. Let me just let me just uh, insert this little piece because I want to make sure this is in that first hour, if I may. The the last piece of this, like as if you know, talking about race isn't isn't tricky enough. Let me let me just quickly talk about sexuality and gender. LGBT, right? That is like in the newspaper every single day, isn't it? Every every two minutes, some LGBT thing. What it looks like, right? An effort to bring, what would you say, social equity and balanced opportunities and treatment to people of all different orientations, right? But of course, we know that Empire could not care less about any humans. Hetero, homo, trans, whatever. They have zero interest in making life better for people so this big thing lgbt it's, it's, everything is lg why are they what's it really for i suggest empire has constructed lgbt rights and gender bias and gender equality and all that to destroy the sacred aspects of the masculine and the feminine so what we sometimes do see are what in certain circles, certain mystical circles, you might call pansexual beings, humans who are not limiting themselves to any particular expression of men or women or this or that. Traditional roles can be transcended. It's rare. Most humans are traditional in their sexual core. They are hetero. Pansexual expression is a very rare spiritual accomplishment that requires very deep self-discovery, uh, spiritual discipline, and, and very incredible, and I use that word advisedly, levels of emotional maturity. And it can be a very wonderful and beautiful thing, real, but very, very rare. So there are certainly humans who sexually prefer a particular gender and those who like both, and all different expressions, up and down, left and right, doesn't matter. But what Empire has done is nothing to do with that. They've created this sort of fake LGBT virtual world which has not arisen from true, sacred, pansexual expression, but from imperial think tanks like everything else. So what imperial LGBT really is, is a sort of club for sad, isolated, fragmented people who have been deceived into thinking that the solution to their spiritual emptiness and their social exclusion lies in sexual reor reorientation, which, it, which for the vast majority it certainly does not. And all you need to do you see this, I'm sure, is walk around the streets of L.A., Phoenix, Portland, Seattle, New York, and you will see a very large number of emotionally immature, spiritually vacant, pathetic people who do not resonate sacred pansexuality, but are just messed up and looking for sanctuary in some sort of imagined brotherhood or sisterhood. And that's imperial LGBT. It's a deception. 
and there's better ways for those guys and girls. It's you, they can do what they want, but they've they've bought a deception. So real LGBT, something totally different. Imperial LGBT is the removal of that the crucial role of gender in the life of the human. The the degradation again of sexual propriety, and and the conditioning, the programming of youth to envision masculinity and femininity as lifestyle choices, right? And these things destroy individuals, families, and communities. And again, this is not about limiting personal freedoms, right? I'm the last person to do that, believe me. It's not about hearkening to some bygone age of religious puritanism. It's not, not by a long chalk. This is about control, plain and simple. Programming the ignorant and the gullible and the lonely to regard their biology and sexuality is interchangeable, like clothes or trends or media. But in spiritual unfoldment, your gender is your most important spiritual asset. Your sexuality is a crucial expression of your spiritual discovery. And that flow of masculine and feminine in a person is, to me, is divinely ordained to bring maximum growth and exploration for that person based on many prior lifetimes of soul journeying, all, all very precisely calibrated and set up in accordance with you know your soul, with divinity, with the laws of nature, of ethereal manifestation, of organic representation as an animal form here, all of us, flesh and blood, bone and sinew, and this, this great intersection of many lifetimes, all designed to bring this beautiful opportunity for personal refinement. To think that all that is just up for grabs as a lifestyle choice to play around with is a disaster. So imperial LGBT is nothing to do with choice and freedom and social justice. It's not. It is to destroy the sacred teaching of the masculine and feminine impulse in everyone. And all of us have both of them. And the mix of it is a very private, special spiritual matter. And to erase centuries of soul journeying in this sort of deeply deceptive social conceit is again what empire is trying to do. So masculinity and femininity are the big massive driving factors. Just like the sun is this giant masculine giving energy and the moon, the lunar is this beautiful nourishing female energy, not the mysterious space messed up base that people think. These are magnificent energies that absolutely control earth life, absolutely and utterly. Everything is male and female. Gender, that critical seventh hermetic principle. Gender is in everything. Everything has gender. And to mess with that and to imagine that the government can legislate on that to assist and help people is just a, such a con. I can't believe people are falling for it. It's just preposterous. It's it's absolutely one of the most obvious examples. Race and LGBT, it's right in front of you. And if you put your detective hat on for a minute, get your Sherlock Holmes pipe and look at it, it's obvious. The evidence is all there. It's a con. And again, it's nothing to do with race. It's nothing to do with race. It's nothing to do with gender and sexuality. It's just control. They're trying to erase judgment, erase that spiritual adventure of masculine and feminine flow, erase that journey back to the divine androgene where both come into perfect harmonic communion that's impossible when you look at the messed up culture that they're trying to create for these people 
And as I say, it could be the most masculine man, the most feminine woman, gay, trans, lesbian, dyke. What? It doesn't matter. That's irrelevant. Those Do what you want. Do what you want. Be an individual. But do not let that culture be guided by empire because it's doing the very opposite of what people think. And believe me, when I was a child, that was always the defender of the underdog. Whether the the kid was the, it was the kid that was bullied or the gay kid in, in our classroom that was bullied, I would defend them all the time. But growing up, I see this, for example, this transgender issue, and I have nothing against them. They can be whoever they want to be, but zero point three percent of the population, ninety nine point seven percent of the population, is not. This right. agenda. Why is it such a high priority? on a leader or president's agenda because he has taken over every single piece of media. There must be an ulterior motive here. The motive is to remove the journey of the masculine and feminine and the spiritual men and women and to co-opt it and to make it a lifestyle choice. And when it's a lifestyle choice, it's a trend, it's a fashion, it's up for grabs, it's decadence, it's decay, it means nothing. It's lost the sacred aspect. It's just fun it's just fashion berlin and in the 1920s propose, back to that it's it's bad news now if you come from a spiritual core and it comes from individual power then the divine says you know what guys you do whatever you want you go for it you can express yourself with consent informed consent with power with dignity in whatever way you wish, with another amazing, spiritually alive, consenting adult. You can paint yourself blue, hang your nipples from the ceiling and swing around all day long if you want. You can do whatever you want. You can, you can do anything. Up to you. But it must be guided from spirit. It's not a lifestyle choice. It's not. So to make it just culture, it's just culture. Remember, imperial culture is not what you think it is. It's not from people. It's about decay. It's decadence. So you have to start to draw these distinctions. And when, and as you, as you say, like you, I am a champion of the underdog. Always have been. Well, whatever it is, I'm always supporting that. People have called me up and said, I'm a transgender guy. I'm a transgender woman. Is it, you know, I'm a bit embarrassed. Is it okay if I come to your house? I said, of course it is. I said, they said, oh, no, it is with you, but no one will look. I said, no one will look at you. The people who come to my events are awesome. They'll celebrate it if you want to. They'll ignore it if you want to. They'll treat you like a human being, of course. Yeah. So every creed, every race, I've had them from all over. You know, you, could, you can't believe it. All over, different types of things like you've never seen. It's like a Star Trek convention, things you would not believe. They're all sat there, right, in the audience. No one cares because what guides us is spirit. To have your culture guided by think imperial think tanks is to destroy your human culture. So you have to keep reminding yourself LGBT is not what it appears to be. LGBT is something else. The real issues are not discussed in the media. Remember, empire is not your friend. It's not interested in your well-being. doesn't care about your bathroom rights or where to go or what bits you've got in your pants. It's not interested in that. All it's interested in is destroying the masculine, which is a, a massive, important journey to go on. And it doesn't mean you don't have to be a man to do it, just the masculine flow of energy. The incredible journey of the feminine Anyone who's interested in hermetic mystical traditions in particular, as I say, hermetic principle number seven, gender is in everything on earth. Every single thing has gender. Everything. Electricity, solar, lunar, 
gravitations of, you know, however you think what gravity really is, it all comes down to that magnetism, arousal, spirit, science, all of it has those poles, positive, masculine, negative, female, creation and destruction, creating life. You cannot have that as a load of people who are wanting escape and wanting resolution sought on the outside. You have to take that from yourself. You have to be guided by something with honor from wise elders, from a true expression. And you tell me where that is in government. You tell me where that is in local, national or international government. It's not there. So again, LGBT, a control word. It's not a real thing. It's a control word. The issues we can talk about, quite different somewhere else. No problem. That's not a problem. And as I say, sexuality in my seminars and in my client work with individuals, we talk about it every day, all the time. And it's deep, fascinating, vigorous, amazing subject, multidimensional, so fascinating, so interesting. None of that is ever, ever talked about in the mainstream. So LGBT stuff, bullshit. And just for the record, all the... Uh, gay, lesbian and trans people I know, all the queer people I know who don't even want to say what they are, they've all said to me privately, this LGBT thing is bullshit, Neil, isn't it? And I'm like, I know. You tell me. It's just it's not representational of me, of my people, of my partners, of what I do in life, of where I go. It's bullshit. It's a lie. So even the guys and girls who I know who do it, as a life expression in themselves from a place of... Uh, integrity and excellence and spiritual uh, accomplishment they tell me it's bullshit they tell me that to me face every week in week out even so, they are afraid to talk about this with other they, people that's right they're being they're being ostracized from the very own incredible journey that they're taking and some of the very bravest and best people i know have gone the whole hog and changed themselves and had things cut off and inserted and reshaped whatever that's an incredibly personal choice, whatever. I, I don't have any problem with that. I think it's an incredible journey. But those people too, several of them, have come to me and said, it's bullshit, LGBT stuff in the mainstream media. It's imperial bullshit, isn't it, Neil? And these are not acolytes or disciples. These are very strong-minded men and women who live their own life, who do what the hell they want to do, whenever they want to do it, from a place of integrity that is and then you have that freedom not before and they have come to me and said it's nonsense and they're better qualified to say that than me so i can theorize and conceptualize about it. i can see what i see but i don't know what the journey is to swap genders to change to feel like a woman i don't know what that is but i have many people who do and have come to me and they've said the same thing and i'm not just talking about two or three i mean high numbers over 10 15 years same thing so we have to remember that, that our talk of race is not what they do. Our talk of sexuality is not what empire does. Our talk of discrimination is different. Our talk of government, of society, of what it is to be liberal, what it is to be conservative, not the same as imperial language. So we must identify those imperial control words and eliminate them from our discussion because they're not relevant. You know, this is a great talk uh, because a, a few days ago I had Mark Passio with the Unholy Feminine, New Feminism and the Satanic 
epigenics agenda. And I went to a conference mm. recently in Philadelphia uh, where, you know, you're talking about gay people talking to you. I saw this gay couple watching the, the, the lecture and we started talking. They said exactly the same thing, that they don't need the spotlight. They don't need all this, you know, marketing about all this stuff here. They don't want it. No. They don't need it. No, and any talk of that, you have to you have to watch out that you don't fall into it. Because even very clever people, you know, they say, "Oh, you're just a privileged white person. You don't That's know right. what the struggles like." No, no, you've you've just you've just proven if you ever say any nonsense like that, it's like they've fallen into the deception of the control words. That's what they do. They control the thinking, and it's like even if you say, "You know, I don't mind gay people. You know, they they can do," it. and they're like, "They, they, you call them they." Yes, of course I call them they. I'd call anyone they. And people get so sensitized, oversensitized to this. You people. And it's just a, you people, you know, it's just, it's just a, an indication that the control mechanism has duped them. And it's very embarrassing and shameful because a lot of these people are very clever, very intelligent, well educated, and they think they're above that and no one can dupe them. So they're very, uh, defensive and aggressive when it comes to even questioning that. So you have to carefully consider if you know what empire is. If you don't know what it is, you need to. But if you know, once you know what empire is, any time they talk about these things and use these control words, and as we said earlier, there's, there's lots of them. It's not just that. All kinds of stuff that you'll hear more and more about, microaggression, implicit bias, restorative justice if you don't know what those things are you'll hear lots and lots about those things privilege you know profiling domestic terrorism hate speech those are they're not things they're not real things they control words so it's it's just very important and once you start to identify them especially like one one that i have an interest in is gun violence which is just so funny and so preposterous but whenever i hear it now it guess what it deactivates it for me I don't ever get wrapped up in it. It it's immediately depolarizes me and I just laugh and just turn it off. So if I see it, you know, I was sat in the garage the other day, day getting my car, you know, doing its 60,000 mile service, whatever. I was sat there like a couple of hours and I watched the television. I watched normal television and I saw nearly every show, every commercial break, every talk show, whatever. I did this as a willful experiment just to punish yep. myself, you know, it's kind of like a masochism really, <laughs> right. but. The control words were there. All the words we've talked about, all those things, hate speech, diversity, ethnic minority, underprivileged, racial bias, restorative. Every every five minutes, there was some mention of it, something to do with it, and then the reactions against it. So, like, no pictures of Europeans, no pictures of uh, strong men, no pictures of uh, feminine women. It was just all things that just are nothing real. And it was just over and over. And I was just staggered by it. I mean, I do this from time to time and see it, of course. And But mostly it's text. Mostly it's newspapers and screens on the computer. But to actually see it on live broadcast, you know, cable TV or whatever, was just shocking. And the control words were programming. And the other people sat in the room with me. They were, I could tell. And I just thought, wow, you know, I'm not going to start. I'm not going to stand up on a a soapbox and say, now listen, ladies and gentlemen, I know we've all come here to get our cars fixed, but I've got to tell you something. Not my job to do that, not my business. I have my door that she's always open. If they knock on it and say, I'd like to talk to you, they can do. Anyone can do that anytime. We have to Neilkramer.com. Uh, do it and have a look. But, you know, it's uh, it's not our place to try and wake people up. That's, that's a very private business. You can bring a horse to water, but you cannot make it 
think. <laughs> we have to break uh, both segments into into two, actually. But tell us, you also have a seminar in New York and the movie. The movie. Tell us about them. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I have a, a very exciting seminar coming up September the 23rd to the 25th over at the Omega Institute. In, that's in Rhinebeck in upstate New York. Uh, Journeys Beyond the Threshold, it's called. And you can go to neilkramer.com and click on events on the menu at the top and you can see all about that. And it's a weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Brilliant. We did it last year in... Um, in this, at the end of summer, it's fantastic. We're going to do it in September again. It'll be bigger and better than last time. It always is. And it's just a brilliant opportunity for very alive, aware, human souls to come together and discuss things of substance. And I will educate and entertain. But the key thing, I always say this, but I promise you, the quality of people who come to that, men and women, young and all, all different backgrounds, everything you can imagine, it's awesome. It's like, a real life intergalactic, you know, way station. It's just everything that you can imagine. All different perspectives and philosophies come together and people come for the community aspect of it. So I, they should certainly come to hear me speak and stand on the stage and I will definitely, you know, instruct and edify. That's my job and I take pride in doing it well. But it's the people who come. That's the real joy of it. So you'll be in a room, maybe. You'll never be in a room with that many super high caliber spiritual warriors. It's so good. So neilkramer.com, click on events, and you'll see this like triangle shape on hovering over the ocean, journeys beyond the threshold, September the 23rd to the 25th, 2016. Upstate, beautiful countryside, not weird downtown concrete and glass. Upstate, beautiful rolling hills and valleys, gorgeous place. You can stay there. Transmutation, Mel, the movie. We've completed the filming. Uh, that's It's all in post-production now. Very interesting, very exciting film. Uh, it's a movie about uprooting normality is the sort of strapline for it. You know, what is real in the world and what is not? Just as we've talked about some of those cultural things this evening, um, it's about modern spiritual warriors, mystical reality, the magical world, the strangeness of empire and how by changing ourselves we can change everything and it's a, a beautiful film directed and shot by niles heckman and some other wonderful people niles directed it and niles honed his skills in hollywood on the matrix reloaded and pirates of the caribbean and all kinds of wonderful things wow. where he was directing the major visuals in you know major hollywood blockbusters and then he took his skills away from hollywood hallelujah and he elevated them even to better levels and took him into the indie realm where he now creates his own unique visions so i wrote the film i narrate it and you see me walking around throughout the movie and there's some other incredible people in who i've worked with over the time not anyone we know but real spiritual warriors out there in the world changing it super authentic people doing the work not like celebrities but fantastic men and women who I've had the great privilege to work with who are out there unfolding a better way of life. So it's a very inspirational film. We're doing it in a new way with greater emphasis on the beauty of the film, great the images, visuals. the poetry of the word, yeah, where our intent is that the whole thing can be viewed as art, not just doc documentary, but it's, it's beauty and it's textures and it's music, fantastic music we've got by a wonderful guy, Wes Willenbring, Jody Vernon, just as important as the message. So 
quite the other way around to how most people do it. So Niles and I and the other guys involved in it were very excited. It's very different. Never seen anything like it. Some surprises in it too. Some hidden things. Some things most people will never have seen before that I think they'll enjoy. Looking forward to, to seeing it too. So that's transmutationmovie.com. Excellent. Well, folks, don't go anywhere. You know we're going to get deeper in segment two. So don't go anywhere. This is Smell Fabregas, and I'm here with Neil Kramer. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first segment of this very important Veritas interview. If you enjoyed it and wish to listen to the rest, go to veritasradio.com, click on members, or subscribe. Or tell someone else who will enjoy this and all our radio programs. If you are listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store, where you can purchase pure organic sulfur, earthing and grounding products, supplements, a USB drive with all our shows, gift certificates, rebounders, fulvic acid, full body vibration machines, and much more. Now, we'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and I'll see you in the Veritas member section. Enjoy.